Welcome to Successful Parenting, where we, Jackie Rue and Robin Choquette, share practical skills for families to build resilience and healthy connections. As practicing professionals and parents ourselves, we hope this podcast is a resource for parents to grow, reflect, and learn more about themselves and their children. Our approach is simple, tangible, and most importantly, we lead with compassion for the integrity of the families we serve. This podcast should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for informational purposes only. We love our work and we can't wait to watch families gain confidence and open themselves up to new ways of successful parenting. Good morning, Robin. How are you doing? I'm good. How about you today? Good, good. I am excited for our featured guest expert that is joining us today. She is just, she's she's amazing, honestly, and I've known her for probably about 15 years, and she's just oh, really wow. such a great resource. The topic that we're discussing this morning is pretty relevant, just given everything that's going on in our world today. And I've had a lot of conversations with parents over the last couple of weeks about how to talk to our children about just safety, you know, traumatic events, you know, a lot of times children are exposed to conversations adults have. They see things on TV and the news. We, Robin, you and I were discussing, you know, just another unfortunate, you know, traumatic event this week with the school shooting okay. in Nashville. And I think so many parents are, are just really fearful of keeping their children safe, but also providing a sense of safety for their children. Yeah, it's interesting because I think we hear that and then we stop and we think for a moment. This week, for some reason, it really, I'll be honest, Jackie, kind of knocked me. It took me a few moments and I remember having to kind of ground myself, get in a good place before I could move on through the day. This week, it really did kind of rattle me and it was that, when is this going to stop? And I know parents are so fearful trying to figure out how do they talk to their kids? How do they keep them safe? I mean, there's just so many questions. Yeah, it's interesting. And and I've known Lisa, she's our you know expert today and you've, you've worked with Lisa too, <laughs> Aguilar, and she has been working with schools for a long time. And more recently, she has really taken on the role of working with schools on developing more formalized threat assessments, safety protocol, as well as, you know, working within districts on, you know, just crisis intervention plans. And out of her work has come just how we talk to each other, how we talk to our children, because I know one mom said, you know, after watching the news, she really became anxious. And, you know, she kept checking mm-hmm. on her child at school and texting her child at school. And we talked about how that response response was really making her child anxious, which in the overall scheme of things was not what she was wanting to do. And so that brought you and I to discuss how important it would be to have Lisa come on and really talk to us about what parents can do to feel okay about sending their children into different situations, as well as how to talk to their children. So I'm excited she is here. Um, Welcome, Lisa. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are excited, excited, excited. You know, it's one of those times we're excited to have you. And then the topic makes you go, ooh. (laughs) I know, I know. I, you know, when you started talking about, you know, the situation that happened in Nashville and in just the past week alone, there was also a situation in Denver where a person shot, a student shot a couple administrators after being searched, um, was already on kind of the safety plan. It's happening week after week and it is a very scary time. And schools are taking measures to prevent these things from happening, but it really is a ripple effect and needs to happen community 
countrywide, nationwide. There's a lot of professional organizations that are stepping in and really working to make change. Yeah, and your your role in schools, I know you've been in schools and you've provided a lot of different services, even outside of schools to families and in your consulting and coaching role. Can you tell us a little bit just about your role and, and how you came to start doing more of the threat assessments and the protocol? Yeah, sure. So I've been a school psychologist for about 12 years now, working mostly in the public school system within Illinois, larger unit district, big schools, nearly 3,000 students, mostly in the high school setting. My role as a school psychologist is really broad in a good way. We're trained in many different things. And over time, it can really help you narrow your focus and kind of specialize in different things as you become more comfortable in your career and you're engaging more with students and the needs of your building. But I've provided mental health counseling to students, crisis intervention and support, behavior threat assessment and intervention. And you know, as we're talking today about community safety, those are kind of those last two areas are mainly kind of the focus of today's conversation. But I've really become interested in helping prevent these situations from occurring in our schools and preparing our schools for even other crisis situations such as, you know, a bus accident um, where students may be injured or things like that and how schools can layer in their supports for their students their families and their community. And then outside of the school, I've really dove into the consultation and coaching role. So um, consulting with parents just on how to get their child supports within the school district, working in the school district, being a part of these meetings, doing a lot of the paperwork. I've realized how confusing it is to a parent who doesn't understand the process and they're just trying to get their kid help. So really educating families on on what that looks like. Um, I don't really say, I mean, I guess I am an advocate in some a lot of ways, you know, we all kind of are, but I really just shoot for educating parents on that process. And then coaching, really coaching students on those executive functioning skills, you know, organization, planning, memory, initiating tasks, any kinds of school related issues that they may be having, how I can assist them and their families. Oh, great. So much, so much that you do is so needed. So thank you. Well, as we're thinking about this and starting these conversations and having conversations, when should those conversations around school and community safety occur? Yeah, that's a great question, Robin. You know, it really it really begins early on and it begins organically. You know, us as parents, we begin having these conversations very, very early. Jackie knows this, but I have a 10-month-old daughter. She's my first child. And, you know, we're already starting conversations about safety and she doesn't even know how to talk yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it begins really simple. And we have, for example, outlets in the floor of our living room, um, electrical outlets, and they're not covered yet because she can't really crawl around yet. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still learning that. She was born a little bit early, but we're even teaching her no. And she's picking up on it really quickly. Just some of those simple things. We teach our kids in the community all the time. Look both ways before you're crossing the street. Don't talk to strangers. How to identify people in case of an emergency. School, we're teaching these things as well at an early age. Sticking together on a field trip bus safety, severe weather, you know, now it's evolved and we do lockdown drills and things like that. But it really begins early and these conversations should be ongoing. They should also be happening at more of a developmental level. So taking your own child's level needs, experiences into consideration when having these conversations and allowing your child to kind of 
learn and and learn through you and what your experiences have been as well. Okay. Well, and I know Lisa, you you know, you touched on this a little bit. How would you advise parents to speak with their children about let's say something happens in their community, you know, whether it's, you know, violence or a safety issue or, you know, a tragedy, and what age should parents, you know, address it while also being able to instill that sense of safety for their children? Well, it, I mean, it really depends on the event and your child's level because if we are talking more what's kind of at the forefront of our minds right now and and what happened in Nashville, we don't want to instill fear upon them, but we don't want to lie about the situation. So kind of gauging how much information your child maybe already knows, you know, where they're getting their information from can help you determine how to have that conversation and when to have that conversation. You know, there's times right now where teenagers, they've become desensitized to this information. And if you bring up a certain situation, they might not even know what you're talking about. It's, it's amazing. And I don't think that should hold you back from having these conversations. But, you know, every child's different. It's really difficult to say, you know, at this age, these conversations should be happening. Here's how they should be happening. But you know your child best and know kind of how these conversations may affect them emotionally to be able to gauge when and how much information to be sharing with them. Okay. Well, I think one of the things often is they overhear us talking or they overhear other people talking, you know, these adult conversations going on and they pick up things from the internet and television. I mean, that is happening for some of those kids where some are kind of oblivious and it's kind of interesting how that occurs in different kids. Should families try to shield the children from getting this information or from hearing these conversations, is that even possible to do? You know, I think I think it is possible to do a little bit. <laughs> so I think when you're having, it's just to be mindful of the conversations you're having around your children. And that occurs both with this topic and without, right? So right. Um, just being mindful of even if your children are in the next room, that they can still be hearing you, still be listening. And on top of that, they may be picking out pieces of the conversation, but not getting the whole conversation or the context or all the details, right? So then mm-hmm. they're drawing their own conclusions and putting their own pieces together and are probably having difficult time making sense of the conversation and processing. So whenever you can have those conversations away from your children or when they go to bed at night and they're not listening, if they do overhear something, make sure you take the time to kind of pause and provide context for them and answer any questions they may have. This goes back to some of the topics that you guys have covered on your podcast is just, you know, monitoring that media consumption. And this looks different at different ages. As your child becomes a teenager, teach them how social media works because you guys have touched on it, the algorithms that come into play as far as when you click on something, you start to see more and more videos, both on YouTube and TikTok that are the same as the ones you clicked on. And as soon as one pops up on their feed about a traumatic event and they spend longer amounts of time on that video they're going to get more and more videos like that. So, and it might not be factual information. So, you know, check in regularly with your children and see how they're feeling and address any of these concerns they may be experiencing as they're looking at social media content. There's a lot of misinformation out there and it's best that they hear from you as their trusted parent on the facts. Mm -hmm. Well, and I like how you said that, Lisa, because I think so much, you know, as parents, we naturally worry about our children. And, you know, when we hear things, we can become, 
become emotional and anxious and, you know, maybe overly want to reassure or check in on our children. What I've noticed is the younger the children are, they hear us, but they're also looking more for our facial expressions and our body right. language. That emotional they, piece. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And they pick up on that, right? They pick yeah. up. And so they sense a, a feeling of fear. Right. Lisa, do you have any pointers on just ways to have conversations? Yeah, I think just creating, you know, from a young age, creating a safe and open environment where your child can express their thoughts and feelings to you and feel comfortable in that is going to be really yeah. important as they encounter these events over their lifetime listening to their concerns and reassuring that safety. So a little bit of a psychological term here, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Mm -hmm. safety needs come right after needing water and food and those survival things in your life. And right after safety is that connection. So connecting with your children as you're doing all the time, but really creating that environment where they feel comfortable coming to you in these times and opening up about what they may be experiencing or just sharing some of those concerning feelings with you. Be honest with them. There's ways of saying things without giving too much detail, but you're not lying, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, making sure you're being honest and not bombarding them with too much information. They're trying to process what's going on, and it's important to let them also kind of take that time to process. One of the things, and I think we probably can all remember this time early in our career where it was really hard to sit with clients, sit with kids Mm -hmm. and embrace that silence (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we always just, it's natural to want to fill that, fill that silence gap. And as adults, we also want to be these problem solvers, especially for our children. But it's really important to learn to sit with that silence. Your child is processing a lot of information and there's times where your, your child may sit with that silence and not have much to say because they just, they don't understand or they don't know what they're feeling or how to express what they're feeling. But there's other times where they may sit with that silence and be able to process and come up with some information to help guide your conversation. Letting your child know that a lot of these situations are still rare. When we talk about school shootings, yes, it's an important topic that we really need to address and it is on the rise, but they are still very rare and making that known and giving your child a sense of safety measures that they can use, that they can practice to make them feel empowered to protect themselves, you know, as they get older. I'm a big person on situational awareness. And, you know, as we talk about, as you guys have talked about, teenagers always being on their cell phones and things like that, being aware even when they're walking down the street, you know, not having their cell phone and their earbuds and all those things and paying attention to the situations around them going on. Other things that I think are important to teach our kids is trusting your gut. You know, when there's something that doesn't feel right within you as they're talking to their friends or they see something on, that somebody's posted on social media that may draw concern to trust that. A social worker term, I guess you could say, the bystander effect. <laughs> so you always yeah, think yeah. somebody else is going to address the situation, you know, especially if there's something on social media and it's got maybe a lot of views or a lot of likes or whatever the case may be. You think, oh, somebody surely has seen this and reported it already. But that's often not the case. So teaching our children how to feel empowered to address that and how to address that, where to turn. We've talked a lot about see something, say something, but there's also a third part of that concept. There's also do something. So what are we teaching our kids? How are we teaching them what to do in these situations where they may be concerned about somebody or concerned that somebody's going to act out in a violent way? And so those are some of the things what I would suggest. You can also provide emotional support during this conversation and really 
draw attention to a lot of these traumatic events that occur, you know, and, and I know like we talked about school shootings are very much in the forefront of our brain, but it could be like a natural disaster. It could be many different things that are occurring. It could be um, just a death in the community um, or with a with a teacher or something like that. But talking about ways that sharing stories about how groups of people or communities have come together in these times or advocated for change and really empowering our children and our teenagers to feel empowered in these situations. Absolutely. I like how you said that. Yeah, I do too. So great. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit. I know you do a lot of work with assessment and school protocols and children see violence, you know, they watch the news, there can be violence there, they see violence on programming, video games, all of that. Do you think there's a connection between that exposure and behaviors in children? You know, that's such a great direct question with not a direct answer. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of research being done on this topic. And Mm -hmm. it's very complex. It's not a direct causal relationship. So, you know, not all children who are exposed to violent media will engage in these violent behaviors and not all violent behavior is caused by exposure to violence in the media. However, it's It's very complex. Um, There's many different factors that come into play. There is evidence to suggest that exposure to violence in the media can desensitize our children to violence, which increases their tolerance for aggressive behavior. So they feel less emotion with these things happening around them, and it becomes more of the norm, and they don't um, think too much into it. Additionally, it can become more socially acceptable, which can lead children to imitate that behavior. So seeing some of these things um, on TikTok or on YouTube or come across on Snapchat or, you know, some of those major social media outlets, as they start to see more and more of those things, they think, oh, like other kids are acting this way and it becomes more of a social norm to them. But like I said, there's other important factors that come into play as far as genetics, family dynamics, exposure to violence in different ways, like, you know, domestic violence or, you know, interpersonal conflicts and things like that and other personal experiences. You know, there's red flags and behaviors I feel like we need to teach our children to look out for, which one of those red flags and you know, with my work with threat assessment, one of the things that is targeted as you're interviewing a potential person who may cause harm or or engage in a violent manner, one of the questions is about kind of what they like to do for fun and what types of things they're into. And it really tries to target if they do have a preoccupation for violent video games, movies, drawings, writings, things like that. So that's just one little prong of threat assessment and interviewing. You know, there's other things like grievance with a peer, bullying, stressful events, you know, lacking those positive relationships. There's many different other things, but that is one of them is to see if there is a preoccupation with these violent media sources. Well, and I like how you mentioned that, Lisa, parents are going to have concern, but I like how you pointed that out, that it doesn't mean just because a child, you know, engages in certain types of video games that they're going to be violent, but it is something to be mindful of. Kids with certain, you know, maybe anxiety and ADHD may have different even reactions. It doesn't mean they're going to become violent, but different kids are impacted by, you know, these video games and, and social media in different ways, right? Right. And I was just listening to some information on at a very young age when children play games on iPads, computer, whatever, video games, games that allow for 
different ways to solve a problem or are more creative in nature are better for their attention, their emotion regulation, a lot of different things. Because, you know, as you guys have talked about before, that prefrontal cortex takes a long time to fully develop and they're still learning how to regulate as opposed to those video games and that have one way of solving something. You know, you need to do A, B, C, D to pass this level. You know, that's when we tend to see difficulty with, you know, the kids that get really upset when they lose a video game. And so, you know, just being mindful of some of your choices of games that even young children can start to play, being mindful of what their reactions to certain games are. Yeah. And I I think just parents understanding what those games are too, right? I know we talk about monitoring, but I think so many, I can't tell you how many talks I have with families where they're like, I don't really understand the games. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know who they're talking to. You know, it's such a foreign world. And I think, you know, so for so many families and, you know, especially parents, they, it's almost intimidating because you don't even know where to begin and how to understand it and how to monitor. You know, in one of our previous episodes, we had someone on, you know, really talking about the responsibility that parents have in monitoring and understanding what their children are being exposed to. And I think that is just so important, right? It's it's very important. And, you know, I came across another resource that's more geared for technology use on the phone, but I'm sure you guys have heard of the Bark app. Yes, yes. Um, So they actually, and I don't know how recent this was because I just came across it and didn't have time to really dive into it, but they just came out with a Bark cell phone. Yes. So, okay. So it's, I don't know, how, how old has that been out? Um, well, how we also know about it, we just recorded, and listeners, you'll be hearing this before you hear this episode. <laughs> we had uh, we have a detective, and that's what he does. Oh, perfect. See, and I didn't even know that. Yes, and he was talking about the Bark phone and the use of Bark. It doesn't quite work with the iPhone. So, right. yeah, it is very interesting, and it, is, it sounds like a great resource. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of resources out there, and yeah, parents' responsibility. You know, the, Luckily, with Google these days, you can really just get on Google and Google, what are some beneficial video games for my child to play that are won't have a significant effect on their mental health, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or will help encourage learning or things like that. And, and you can really, you know, play the, play the game yourself, <laughs> see what emotions it affects on you. I mean, I know if I've played video games that are more violent in nature, I mean, you do, you get more upset when you lose or you have a different emotional reaction to it. Right. And are you seeing those links between the mental health, do you think? I mean, we've talked about this in previous episodes and social media. Do you see that link? Do you have any thoughts or suggestions? Um, you know, It's hard. I think the more you can, um, you know, put some restrictions on use at an early age and make it a norm in your family, um, not just with, you know, your children's use of social media, but your use of social media as an adult and kind of put those norms in place for your family at a young age, the better. Um, But I also know that some parents maybe, you know, haven't done that or they thought they had things under control and and have kind of realized as their kids got older, ooh, we need to, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) reel back the reins a little bit. Um, And and so it's never too late to start. Um, But I think, you know, and I know you guys have talked about it in a past episode, but I'm a a big proponent on family meetings. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my husband and I had like started to have these little family meetings even before we had our daughter just yeah. to coordinate our schedules <laughs> and, you yeah. know, kind of figure out what was going on for the week. And I, you know, I really 
I really do envision us, you know, having these family meetings with our daughter and future children, um, not only to talk about what's going on in their lives in the week, but to address maybe concerns we have as a family. And, you know, Jackie, like you had talked about, you know, maybe creating um, some norms as a family as far as when to use social media, how long to use social media, what kinds of things we're doing and posting those somewhere and, Mm -hmm. and having us all be on the same page as to where we feel like as a family that should be. I mean, I'm we're all guilty of it. I mean, I'm on my phone quite a bit multitasking and doing a bunch of different things. And I really have to consciously put down my phone and be like, no, this is my time to spend time with my daughter, you know? Right, yeah. And, you know, that's something that I'm able to self-regulate as an adult, but our children aren't able to self-regulate on their own. They're just not there yet. Yeah. So, helping them get there, you know, is important. And I think just earlier on that we can have these open ongoing conversations and making them part of the process of putting some of these, I don't want to say rules, but like norms for your family in place. I think the better because they're going to be more invested. Yes. You know, one thing, a shout out to the millennials. Um, what I am finding, I don't know if you ladies are finding the same thing, but they are coming in and saying to me, if they are in a relationship, even if they're not married, they are doing weekly meetings. I am blown away. Wow. They are having these weekly meetings and talking about what's going on, their goals for the upcoming week, how did they support one another. It is a consistent thing that I am seeing and kudos to all of you out there that's starting that. Lisa, thank you, because I think that is a huge piece as we move forward, as you talk about of getting this family together in terms of a way of we're all kind of, these are our values and this is what we're working on and having those conversations versus reacting. Yeah, Lisa, I think the suggestions and just the topics you've talked about today is is helpful and relevant, right? Because I think as a parent, my children are older, but I have young adults that live in Chicago. I have different fears, right? I have different fears. <laughs> because there's a lot of safety issues right now with young adults. Even though she's older, we're having conversations around safety and I have to be mindful of the news. And we watch something and we assume it's happening everywhere, right? And so I think we hear so much that it causes anxiety and fear and and you should definitely be mindful and safe. But I think sometimes we just get inundated with so much. That isn't always helpful either, right? Right. And on top of that, it's Going back, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that are just striving to get the likes, to get the views of their videos, and they're putting information out there that is just not true. The situation in Nashville, I've been, you know, because I've been regularly keeping up on that situation, I've seen videos where people are posting that the shooter's shoes were different in two different of the body cam shots and drawing attention to that. And what does that mean? And, you know, then that is just so, in my mind, so disrespectful to the lives lost, to the first responders who responded in this situation, the community, so many different ways. But, you know, for children who are seeing these things or teenagers who are seeing these things trying to make sense of their environment and they don't know what to believe. <laughs> you know, so they're getting a lot of misinformation out there which is also instilling fear. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Well, a great conversation. Thank you so much, Lisa. We are to the three questions, the three questions that we ask every guest. Oh boy. You may choose one, two, or all three questions. It's your choice. Let's get started. Number one, tell us one of your funny parenting stories. Now, this could be your own parenting or this could be from childhood. Okay. Something your parents did. Number two, what TV, family, or movie would you want to be a part of? 
and why? And number three, what does successful parenting mean to you? Oh, goodness. (laughs) I love your questions. I think I'm going to go with the third one. So just because, you know, I've had to think a lot about this, (laughs) having a young one and our first child. But, you know, I think successful parenting is really parenting without, how do I say this? Not trying to be that perfect parent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) So parenting unapologetically, I guess you could say. Um, you know, when you guys have talked about like TikTok and I know I know Jackie has said this and I completely agree. You know, it's like now you need to have this 12 step facial. <laughs> the same is true for parents. It's like, yeah. you know, there's these videos out there and I'm guilty of it. I'll scroll TikTok here and there and you see these parents who are up at 4 a.m. and they're drinking their green juice and they're going to work out and they're cleaning the whole house. Their house is like literally does not have a crumb on their counter. We find ourselves comparing ourselves to that. And I have to take a step back. But I, you know, successful parenting is having my daughter see me make mistakes as a parent and how I bounce back from them and how I respond and, you know, not trying not trying to be that perfect parent. And I really want to see my daughter and, uh, you know, my husband and our daughter and our future children to grow up and be kind, generous, compassionate, funny. You know, there's so many different qualities that I hope she gets only the best of both of our qualities as she grows up, becomes a well-rounded individual. Oh, I like it. I like <laughs> it too. Lisa, you're such a good mom. <laughs> Thank it's been you. fun watching you get married and have a baby. And <laughs> I'm growing up. Growing I say up. that, but I'm like a later. <laughs> I'm in my upper 30s, so I'm not super young. <laughs> it's all relative. It's all relative. Right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for the discussion and having me. Thank you, Lisa. And I know we will connect soon. I'm, I'm interested to continue to work with you and I, I love catching up with you. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 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 Bye, listeners. Thank you. Bye, Jackie. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And make sure to subscribe and like us to catch our next episode, where we will take you on a journey to find new ways of successful parenting.